0: Good morning, everybody. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get started with um, with the Word of God before we get too too far into anything else. I want to say. Um, so if you if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at two Peter one, um, at two Peter oh, I I must have sent the wrong passage to Kim or Pam. I must have just said the wrong name also. Um, I'm unreliable when it comes to verbal communication. And, and it's 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, not 1 Peter 2. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, so I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. And if you all have um, <clears throat> your Bibles and want to follow along, if not, um, you can look on your phone or you can just listen to me. Um, a lot of times when... People wrote to churches and sent letters in ancient times. People couldn't read, so they could simply hear. And that certainly is how Jesus taught. So we can trust the Lord to, even if you're a video learner, he can still work through words. So I'm going to read um, our passage for today. If you guys could just try to listen with your hearts. This is the very word of God through his apostle Peter. By the way, <laughs> Lord, help me be disciplined. <laughs> um, As I was preparing for Sunday, maybe it's because we don't usually read from Peter as much as we read from Paul and the gospel writers. But I was struck at the fact that, for many of us who read the gospel, we know about Peter. You know, Peter's like the guy that we quickly identify with as an apostle. You know, he's the guy who um, was impulsive and but fully dedicated and loyal. He jumps on the water when Jesus says come, but then he, like all of us, he freaks out when he sees the winds and the waves. He's the guy who cuts off the guy's ear because he loves his Lord and then he's the guy who, who denies he even knows Jesus when he's afraid of the, the servant girl warming himself outside the trial. And, um, and, and I, just, I was just struck by the, the thing that I can just take for granted. Like 2,000 years later, we're able to hear from Peter. Like this is that Peter who was turned upside down by Jesus whose life was just blown apart and then re-put together again by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who died as a martyr for his Lord, who saw Jesus for three years in the flesh, walked around with him, listened to him, loved him with all his heart, failed terribly at being a disciple at a crucial moment in Jesus' life, and then was restored with all kinds of love and tender mercy by Jesus. This is that guy. We get to hear his specific brain today. Like, he's right here, you know? It's it's a miracle. So here's Peter talking to us, more importantly, full of the Holy Spirit, writing the very words of God to us. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, Lord, I pray that your word would go out today. I pray that you would have mercy on me, a sinner. I am freshly aware uh, from the last two weeks of vacation of um, how much I need you and how far I am from being fully conformed to the image of your son. And so I pray for mercy on me and I pray for mercy on all of us as we listen to your word. God, thank you for your word. We just heard about a church that apparently hasn't had a a people that haven't had your word in a thousand years in a church. And here we are, able to hear it freely and see it freely. Knowing, God, that our lives will end on this earth. That we are not promised even tomorrow. Knowing that you are a holy God who judges all how unbelievably blessed we are to have your word and to be able to hear your gospel and to be able to be saved through your gospel and to be able to be kept by your truth. Help our hearts to be hurt and sad and grieving for a people that for a thousand years apparently haven't had that, tra- that chance. And help us to treasure today what you have to say to us and be affected by it all this lord is possible not just possible god but i believe lord all this is what you will literally work towards through your spiritual power in us through the holy spirit today in jesus name we pray amen amen i won't be going over all of that passage exhaustively um but i did want to read a little bit more um, Peter's heart. So, my, my, my daughter Marie and my son John, who are both back there, when they were little, um, we don't do this anymore, and as I was reading over this and recollecting over this, I realized that um, I'm probably going to hear about this today after the church, but, because w- I got two littler ones um, who I should be doing this with, but I used to spin them around all the time in the living room like this. Like I have a picture of me and Marie just, Mid, mid, in like midair, you know, just spinning. And um, I used to do this thing where I would spin them this way, right, and I would get super dizzy, and so then I would spin them this way to try to, like, recover but keep the fun going. Then I would get super dizzy, and I'd pick up and spin them this way. Do you guys remember that? And um, now you want to do that again? <laughs> Marie's not sure. John's sure. Um, but I, I would just, you know, you, you get it. You get dizzy this way, so you have to try to do something to get you back over this way, right? And and um, I, I feel like that's a lot like what it means to, to walk with God as a Christian. Like holding on to and living out the, the many truths that God gives us in his word can be like that. Like we, we come in to Jesus through uh, this truth that we're saved by grace through faith, that it's, not our doing and then you know as as a Catholic kid growing up I had no idea of that and and, uh, maybe some of you grew up Catholic and you did understand that I I didn't understand that and so it was absolutely new to me And, and it literally was the gospel that I hadn't heard and it literally blew the doors off my life when I realized that that God would save me based on what he did and not what I did that God would save me as a gift and not because I had to earn it, that it was free, and something that I just trusted God for, that I couldn't change myself, but that God would change me. It, it revolutionized my life, it saved my life. It, it didn't just save me spiritually, it, I felt like it saved me emotionally, in, in every way. But after a while, <laughs> I realized there was more to it. I, 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 I had to learn to do some things to read his word and to be with his people and to confess my sins to one another. and to I, 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 I just, you know, I had to realize. I, but, but then as I began to like build a devotional life and to really learn what it meant to have a quiet time and to journal and to look over my prayers and to try to memorize scripture, I, I could see myself beginning to put my hope in those things and shift my hope from who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for me on the cross to all that I had to do to keep my spiritual life going. And so I I spun that way, right? (laughs) So it's, it's kind of like I had a hard time figuring out how to keep these things all together. The free grace of God, the, the the gift of God and justification, and what it meant to walk out and, and make effort in that gift without then somehow replacing that gift with a sense of my effort. D- does that make sense to you guys? In Star Wars, there is this idea of balance in the force, you know, like, if you guys follow Star Wars, and if you ever want to know that, like, it's a bunch of, like, they, what were they thinking from the beginning? Try to follow the idea of balance and the force from the first Star Wars movies to the prequels to the... They just change it every movie. Like, what the heck does balance mean? Like, does that mean the—the Because the, Darth Vader's going to bring balance by killing the emperor, but then now there's no, there's no dark side, so the light... It's all just like... It's, it's not like in the Christian life we, we simply balance, you know, this truth with this truth. It's, it's more like this nutritious breakfast... Do you remember on the side of cereal boxes when you were a kid? It would say, um, "Cookie Crunch, sugary Cookie Crunch is part of this nutritious breakfast." Of course, you'd see like a bowl of sugary Cookie Crunch like next to oatmeal and yogurt and grapefruit, and and maybe even like a um, maybe even like a treadmill, you know, in the background or something like that. It's like, of course, sugar cookie crisp is part of this nutritious breakfast. I'm doing all that, but but there is a sense in which like maturing and growing as a Christian is, is keeping it all together and like knowing how to keep it all together. Like, like I don't want to just have grapefruit. I need pancakes and I don't want to just have my an organic whole wheat pancakes. I also <laughs> like I need the treadmill but I don't just need a treadmill. I need enough sleep. You know, you, you, so I don't think God wants the Christian life to be confusing or, or overly complicated but I do think he means for the Christian life To be a life that calls for maturity. Like maturity. Like grown-ups. Like like we can pick up what it means to be saved by grace. And and the free gift of God. Without letting go of what it means to pursue God hard. And follow hard after him. And we can follow hard after God without eventually completely exhausting ourselves. And forgetting (laughs) that it's by his power and his doing that we're kept each day. Like growing up as a Christian is learning how to keep all that together. You know, I was just talking about that with Adair at the mic. You know, we were talking about healing in the Christian life. And in the Bible, you see God does healing and he does miracles. And and it's amazing. And then in the Bible, God calls, some people get sick. Paul talks about leaving somebody at Limetus at some place because he he was sick. And he writes to Timothy saying, take wine because you're frequent sicknesses, you know. And, and she, she's like, well, which is it? Does God bring miraculous healing or does God allow sickness? And it's like, yeah. Does God grow us through suffering or does He show His glory and give us joy through the miracle of healing? Yeah. As the answer is, yeah. You, you know, we, we, we learn as we grow in Christ to hold these things together. And that's really what's going on in here in First Peter. It's 2 it's Peter 1. It's this beautiful picture of the Christian life is this, is this full, nutritious breakfast. It is sugary cookie crisp and grapefruit and the treadmill. You know, it's, it's learning how to keep it together. But, but we, we can struggle with this tension. You know, I, I want to see it as one truth fits all. I want to see it as simple. I don't want to have to struggle in that tension. I don't like tension. I don't like avoiding false dichotomies. I, I, it, but that's what God's word calls us to do. There are many things in tension that God calls us to keep together. And not does does he just call them to keep them together. He calls us to put them in the right order. You know, Like, like one thing is built on something else. If you try to build the free gift of God on your performance, you will kill yourself. If you try to build your performance on the free gift of God, things will go better. But you're called to make an effort. And you're called to depend on the free gift of God for salvation. You're called to do both things. And, and if, you, if we get that, the Bible will make a lot of sense to us more and more and more. If we're able to look at a verse and realize, well, <laughs> this isn't calling me to be saved by my works. Just because it says make every effort, you know, or when it says it's no longer I who live but Christ in me, that doesn't mean I just let go and let God and never do anything. It, the the if you recognize there, there are different pieces that you got to keep together and you grow this way, the, the tensions will begin to become more and more bearable. And not just bearable, they will start to really help you mature. I don't know how else to put it. Help you mature. So this is the reality that, that Peter's going to call us to. That grace does not nullify the pursuit of holiness. And the pursuit of holiness is not to nullify grace. That faith works but it is not works that uh the spirit works inside us to work out power in us that we would work that we have a new creation that we are now but that in that new creation there is indwelling sin that still fights against it all these tensions god calls us to hold these things together things that can feel like they're in collusion with each other so really today's message really is, even though it's called Particular the Nature, the kind of big application for us is just learning to grow into maturity and in how we view this walk. And I, I want to just walk through what Peter says here to try to see that and, 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 and kind of put meat on the bones of this through this, this passage. So let's just go through it verse by verse, and then at the end we'll, we'll see what God has to say to us about it in application. Um, so let's go back to verse 1 and verse 2. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling his readers here, I'm an apostle, I saw Jesus, I spent three years with him, but you have a faith in Jesus Christ that is worth just as much as mine. That you have a standing in Jesus Christ. That is equal to mine. If you're in Christ Jesus, you and Peter have the same Jesus who loves you the same, before whom you stand on equal footing in Christ. That's what Peter is saying right from the get-go. And then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He, he says in effect, now that you've received the righteousness and the salvation of God through faith in Christ, just like we have, may you get even more grace and peace from him, seeing that from the very start, it's been his power that's given us this new life and everything we need for living it out. And, and here Peter, he He explains how God gave us all that we need for life and godliness. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you see that? Everything he's going to say following is going to be an explanation of how God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay? Sometimes when you read the Bible, you, you can get a sense that they were really speaking from another universe, <laughs> another dimension, because they pack so friggin' much into so little space, you, and that's why you have preachers who take, like, one chapter of Peter, and they'll take 10 weeks to preach it, because it's just like going to 7-Eleven, and, and all that comes out of the Slurpee machine is just slurpy syrup. There's no ice. <laughs> there's no water. It's just undiluted Holy Spirit communication, which, whoa, it's a lot, so <laughs> so I want to go through this really slow right here and just make sure you understand. What Peter's going to say now is, is he's going to explain why and how God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, you guys ready to follow me? Like, he's, gonna, here's, he's explaining how this happened, how this worked, okay? It happened. You got divine power. You got all things for life and godliness. You got it. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. See that at the end of verse three? That's how you got it. How did God give us this new life and the power for godliness? He did it through causing us to have the true knowledge of himself. He gave this knowledge to us when he called us by, through, his own glory and goodness. This is Peter saying You received everything you need to live for Jesus when you saw Jesus Christ truly in your heart. When you really got the gospel, you got everything you needed to live for him and through him. That's how we get the power to live a godly life. It's when we see Jesus Christ. And that's why what's happening in Kabul, Afghanistan is such a a, a catastrophe. Because without the gospel, those people are not finding Jesus Christ, they're not finding his righteousness, they're not finding how to live with power and joy and sacrifice for him, and worst of all, they're not being justified before God through Jesus Christ, which is what the gospel does. If you guys were here for Mike Christie, he told us all about that doctrine of justification that God says on the last day, when we see him after we die, not guilty, innocent, righteous in my son. But, but P- Peter says, you guys getting my letter and you guys in this room, Lord willing, you received power for life and godliness when God called you through the knowledge of himself by his own glory and goodness. To save a man or a woman, God reveals himself to them. He shows them how glorious he is. He shows them that he is good. Their eyes open up to see that he is beautiful and he is holy, he is majestic, and he, in his mercy and love and compassion, is for them is for them. This is how he calls a person to salvation. He gives them the true knowledge of himself. And, and our next verse is very crucial, verse four. By which, by which refers to his glory and goodness, by which re- refers to the revelation of who he is, by which he has granted to us, verse four, his precious and very great promises, so that through them, what's the them referred to? His promises, his precious and very great promises. Through those promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. By his glory and goodness, because he's glory and good, good, he, he showed us who he was, And then he gave us his precious and variegate promises. And when we put our hope in those promises, our lives were changed. Promises like, whoever comes to me, I will by no means drive away. He gave you that promise, and you believed it, and it changed your life, I hope. Promises like, whoever believes in me will never die. Promises like, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Promises like, it is by grace you've been saved. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God and not by works. Promises like, I will raise him up on the last day. Of all those God gives to me, I will lose none that he has given to me. Promises like, call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. Promises like, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And on and on and on and on. In our need, we heard these promises and we continue to hear these promises, not threats. There are threats and warnings God makes in his Bible, but that's not the gospel. Threats and warnings drive us to the gospel. Threats and warnings keep us safe in the gospel, but threats and warnings are not the gospel, brothers and sisters. The gospel says, I forgive you, The gospel says, I speak a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood called for vengeance and justice. Jesus' blood calls for mercy and tenderness and compassion and forgiveness again and again and again and again, right? So there are threats and warnings in the Bible. We want to be serious about that here and not push God's word over here when we don't like it. It's unpleasant. that will kill us. And by God's grace, I really want to be committed not to do that. But I don't want to pretend like threats and warnings are the gospel because they're not. It's his promises that we hear and through faith grab hold of that changed our life on that first day we came to know him. Maybe you were five and you don't remember. Maybe you were 25 and you'll never forget. But those promises are what changed your life. And it's holding on to those promises that keeps your life going in him. It's holding on to his promises that keeps your life going on in him. That's why Peter says, through them, his promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature. This isn't new age stuff. (laughs) Like that sounds like Star Wars. (laughs) This is Peter. This is what you get. This is what you are in Christ Jesus. You are a partaker of the divine nature. You become united with his very spirit. He knows you still struggle with sin. He knows you're still imperfect. But the gospel promises he comes anyway. He takes your sin upon himself. And he moves in close, even in your failings, and stays with you. And you become a partaker of him, who is very God. His spirit, his power, his nature comes to live in our hearts. We become new creations who are partakers of the divine nature. We're not God, don't make that mistake, but his very divine life is imparted to us and we are changed and we become his children. Our desires start to change and they become more and more like his desires. Our hearts become more like his because he adopts us, makes us his kids. Kids look like their mom and dad and that's supposed to be a physical metaphor of the truth that spiritually we look like our heavenly father when we become one of his in our hearts. And, and what's the result of becoming a partaker of the divine nature? What's the result of grabbing hold of these promises and holding on to him and, and being infused with his character? He says, we escape the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. If you could put that verse back up there. Listen, just a real side thing. The scriptures are so worthy of our study because I don't know if I'm, if I'm communicating this well, but I know in my heart that if, if I read that in a quiet time without really thinking about it, it would just feel like 500 pounds of spaghetti, like trying to sort this thing out. Holy goodness. So many things are connected to so many things are connected to so many things are connected to so many things, like the them, the this, the which. But when you slow down, you realize he's not crazy. Like Peter is not on some acid trip. <laughs> He knows exact. forgive me for even alluding that, he knows what he is saying, and it makes sense. And sometimes, you know, there are translations like the New Living Translation that can help us jog off and get our brains back in and follow, but it's just, it's a beautiful thing to study scripture, and I'm, and I'm grateful for, for many of you guys who know that, who, who, and, and for folks who teach it well, like Donna, who, who can explain these things. Anyway, <laughs> Because God fills us with himself and his heart through our faith in his promises, we're, we find we're no longer bound to entrapment of lesser gods. We have something better. And, and going back to verse 2, this is how his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we see this chain. God calls us. He reveals his glory and goodness to us. We're no longer blind to how glorious and good he is. And he becomes beautiful to us. Then he gives us these gospel promises of forgiveness of eternal life. And then we believe these promises and through them we become partakers of the divine nature. And now we become partakers of a a divine nature and we have a new nature. We escape the clutches of our old nature with its sinful desires. And is that the end of the story? Yay, we're all Christians. We're all great. We can go home. We're new nature people. We're partakers of the divine nature. Yay. Go home everybody. Be partakers. (laughs) or 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 just no just know that you're a partaker now of the divine nature and go home and binge watch fringe all 5 seasons with nachos and slurpees <laughs> you'll be great no 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 no. that's not it we have we have more to do and this is where things start to churn and turn and so in our first section this morning there there's no work of deb or brandon or krishanda or rob there's no work for Hannah or Josh, (laughs) there's no work for you. There's no earning, there's no effort except believing what God says. That's what just happened in everything Peter said. And what Peter said ended with you being a partaker of the divine nature, being a new creature in Christ, being a new creation. And there was nothing you did except believe God. That's what the gospel says. You believe God and his promises. Do Do you see that? At least you see that that's what Peter just said. You you just believe these things. You get promises and you hold on to them and it changes you. And if you haven't come to Christ that way, if you don't believe the promises of God and find your life changed by them, you may not know him. And so it's important that you see this because this is the only way into the kingdom. It's through believing his promises our role is completely passive. We receive knowledge about God, and s- for the first time, it begins to mean something to us. We receive promises. We depend on someone else, this glorious and good God. And, and through faith in his promises, I will forgive you forever. I am your Savior from your sins. All of your sins are on me. Through faith in those promises, we become a partaker of the divine nature. That's it. it's really crucial that you see that that all you're doing so far is believing God and trusting him. Mike, Chris went over this a few weeks ago, how how hard it is and how tragic it is when we we get these things wrong. But maturing is being able to hear what we just heard and then hear more that's different (laughs) without letting go of that. You know, I think I've said this to you guys before, some of you, maybe I have before, but Peter reminds people, so I'll remind you guys. I, I, I used to have this phrase that maturing as a Christian is like being able to hold on to two bags, two bags, you know? If I'm holding on to two bags, I'm growing as a Christian. It's like I'm, you get one bag, and then you see another bag, so you pick it up and you drop the other bag, and then you realize you drop the other bag, so you pick up the other bag, but you drop the other bag. No, you've got to hold on to two bags. You've got to eat the nutritious breakfast with the sugar cookie crisps and the orange juice and the grapefruit. And you've got to do the treadmill and you've got to get sleep. You, there, you've got to be able to hold on to these tensions. And now Peter's not going to be afraid to take us on tension coaster now. <laughs> He's going to take you on tension coaster. Verse 5. For this very reason, for everything I just said in particular, well, there's a particular this in this very reason, make every effort. What? Yes, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Are you guys overwhelmed? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's briefly talk about these virtues, and then we'll talk about connecting them to what we heard earlier. Peter says, make every effort to pursue goodness. This means moral excellence, doing what's right. You guys, most of you get it, what it means to be a good person. Peter says, try to be a good person. He is actually saying that, believe it or not. And, in, in, you know, various ethical dimensions of life, with work and sleep and marriage, Be a good person. Knowledge. This is knowledge concerning the things of God and the will of God. Who he is, what he has done, what he wants. Peter says, pursue it. Get more. Make every effort to grab onto more knowledge. Self-control. Connected to goodness. The opposite of excess and greed and the mastery of our passions that abuse us and that we abuse with. Passions of anger when it gets sinful. Sexuality when it gets immoral. Food when it gets gluttonous. Alcohol, when it turns us into drunkards. Media, our phones, money, any appetite that needs and calls for mastery if life is not to become disordered, excessive, and full of just destruction. Peter calls us to pursue steadfastness, patience, perseverance, patience that waits on God's timing, patience that waits for others when they're not where you want them to be, patience that that stands on God's promise in the midst of the pressures of this world. Even before we obtain the promise, we wait. Peter says pursue godliness. That is a a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. It is piety. It is devotion to God. It is is pray without ceasing. It's just being mindful of God in all things every day. Peter calls us to pursue brotherly affections. It's, It's not just coming to care group or being in a triad which we'll talk about I, I think we're going to talk about that next week uh, it's not just about um, showing up at, at something it's about kindness it's about tenderness it's about warmth between the family of God brothers and sisters Peter says pursue warmth with each other affection with each other kindness In another place Peter will say I, I love this he says let your love be fervent for each other He says, pursue self-sacrificing agape love. The king of virtues. Agape love. Then Peter says, do you want to be fruitful? Do you want to be effective? Do you want to actually make your knowledge of Jesus count? Then pursue these virtues. And he has some warnings. He says, "If, if you don't, you will become ineffective. If you don't, you will forget. You're forgetting that you had been cleansed from your old life. God had cleansed you from it. So there's an implicit warning here that we can become blind to what we have in Jesus and we can become, we can start to live in the filth that we were freed from again, that that's possible for us. Peter's saying, don't do that. And don't do that, he says, by making every effort to pursue these things. So, what happened though? Like, what happened to grace? Peter said (laughs) that we believed God and we were changed. What about the gospel? What about God giving us everything we need for life and godliness? It, what, what do I do with, with this? Because this second part feels like a huge weight on me. The first part felt awesome, and I loved the first part of my sermon today. The second part of my sermon I thought was bad. I didn't like that sermon. <laughs> you know, it feels like I want the first sermon. I don't want the second sermon. Do you guys feel like that? Yeah. I feel overwhelmed by the second sermon. The first sermon made me, feel, I mean, you know, the first part, it made me feel free and light as a feather. Now I feel like I'm in the mud, like with a broken wing. But to understand what Peter is saying here is so crucial. And, and I, I read this for, for a long time and I don't think I saw as much as I really needed to see, so I'm hoping God will help us see it. To understand in this passage the relationship between God's free gift, grace, Promises that have nothing to do with our effort and our pursuing growth. We need to pay attention to what I think are the most important words in the whole passage for understanding that. And I think they're the first 11 words of verse 5. So let's go back to the beginning of this second section, the section of burdens. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Let's start with for this very reason. It is for this very reason, Peter says, that we're to pursue this glorious list of virtues. That we're to pursue knowledge, goodness, self-control, patience, kindness, love. The whole foundation of this pursuit of growing in these virtues is found in something else. That something else is called this very reason. So in other words, this very reason, because of this very reason, do all these other things. And that's what's so important for us to get this connection because of this other thing then this other thing. What's the very reason? Verse four, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature, escaping from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. The very reason that God has given you his promises is so that you might believe them and become a partaker of the divine nature and grow. the foundation of your pursuit of this list is that you are now a partaker of the divine nature. So <laughs> we need to not quickly move into the stuff we have to do without hearing that again. The reason why God calls you to pursue these lists of virtues is because you are a partaker of the divine nature. And when you understand that, the question arises, well then how could it be any other way but that I am to per- pursue goodness and love and self-control? I mean, if I'm a partaker of the divine nature, if that's my nature now, if the Jesus Christ by his very spirit lives inside me and is changing my desires and leads me by his spirit, then how could it be any different than to pursue goodness and love and knowledge and self-control, right? Like, that's what the divine nature is. That's what the divine nature does in anyone. Like, that's, all this list is is saying, be like Jesus, because Jesus now lives in you, has changed your heart. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? We heard a few weeks ago. And God's spirit lives inside you. And then look at this. This is really crucial. Make every effort. For this very reason, make every effort to this word. Supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. When I take my supplements in the morning, vitamin C, I take vitamin C. I don't take my supplement and then say, that's all I need for eating. Like, that's a supplement to eggs and toast. And maybe later chipotles, if it's a good day. That's a supplement to that stuff. It doesn't replace it. And it doesn't remove it. It doesn't deprioritize it. I take this supplement. And we got to pay attention to that word supplement. Like he wrote supplement for a reason. The Greek word supplement here, it's, this is a little bit off-road, but this is good. It's the same word that was used to describe um, in the ancient world, this is really strange, but it's not too complicated. Just listen to me for a second. As opposed to you not listening to me like, for the last half hour. Now I want you to listen to me. In, in the Greek culture, a person would, would, would be like a benefactor for a play. And, and they would be in charge of a certain person in a Greek play, because theater was a big deal to them, and they would supply the play with musicians, like a chorus. So there'd be some guy who'd say, I, I wrote this play, and I want to put this play on. Now I need somebody to supply the play with the singers, so that we can get this message out. We could do this play. In order for the play to be all it was meant to be, they needed these singers to make it the spectacle it was meant to be. Your faith is meant to show itself, so to speak, by all these virtues that come around and they, oh, they sing about your faith. So you say, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and like, as people get to know you, they're like, man, he's a super kind dude, oh. That's what's happening. They're, 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 they're getting like that. This is a real thing. Like Jesus. And you guys know that. You, there are people you know who say they're a Christian, and you get to know them, and you're like, gosh darn it, they are a Christian. And you get to know them after, year after year. They're just like, oh. Like their texts, their phone calls, they're showing up a prayer meeting. They hear your confession. They don't kill you. They uplift you, they cleanse you. And you're, th- that's, they're like, oh. That's what's happening. They are, they are singing. They're not like, Their faith is being shown to you through their love for you and their lives of self-control and and their big heartedness and their grown upiness their maturity they're like the, that's what Peter's talking about here. John Piper says that we must hold on to the promises of God, essentially, to continue to experience the divine nature. He, he, he tries hard to make sure that we don't detach, and I'm not trying to John Piper as if he's like the guy, but, but, but he's right. He, he, it's so easy for me to detach these verses and, and take them apart and, and put like the, 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 the train boxes, are, are they called train boxes? When you have a locomotive, boxcars, right? Right? I detach the locomotive from the boxcar reflexively. Like, I detach the power source from the work plan all the time. Like, I suck the gas out of the tank of my soul a lot when I let go of the promises of God, when I stop keeping my eyes and my heart on the promises of God. And when I put my eyes back on the promises of God, I'm refueling the engine. I'm attaching the boxcar to the locomotive again. And that's what Peter's asking us to do in verse five when he says supplement your faith with these things. When he says for this very reason, it's don't forget the very reason. If you forget the very reason to pursue these things, you're, you're taking the gas out of your engine. If you forget the very reason you're to follow Jesus, you're taking the box cars and disconnecting them from the locomotive. You have to keep them together. And he puts it well. He says, The connection between the Holy Spirit and you is the word of God and faith. The connection between the fuel in your system for following God is his promises and your faith in them. The connection between the Holy Spirit and you is the word of God and faith. They're like socket and plug. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to remind you anyway. I just love this image. To the day I die, I will be keep using this in messages as long as I get to preach. When the plug of your faith goes in the socket of God's word, the spirit is flowing. Did you hear that? When the plug of your faith goes in the socket of God's word, the spirit is flowing. The lamp goes on. And Peter would say it this way. The connection between the divine nature and you are the promises of God and your faith in them. The connection between the divine nature and you, the connection between God's spirit flowing in you and out of you is the promises of God and your faith in them. Pete Piper goes on, to become a Christian, you believe the promises of God like everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says, to fight sin as a Christian, you believe the promises of God like I will never leave you or forsake you. You never outgrow your need to live by faith. We begin and end by trusting. We begin and end by trusting. We begin and end by trusting. But coming back to this nutritious breakfast, and, and, and there are different components here, and, and maturity is holding them together. While becoming a Christian, experiencing the justifying grace that saves you and calls you forgiven forever is a passive experience that happens to you growing as a Christian and experiencing the sanctifying grace that grows you is active and it happens with you. Do you get that? Did that make sense? It didn't make sense over there in section 104b while be while becoming a christian experiencing the justification experiencing the forgiveness of god experiencing on that day when god in your heart declares not guilty saved born again that experience happens to you just like little andrew (laughs) at the hospital a few days ago. He was happy in that womb, and all of a sudden, whatever drugs they put in Laura to get that thing going, it was just, <laughs> he was like, ah! he couldn't stop it. Doctors grabbed his feet or his head. With Marie, they put a plunger on her forehead called a kiwi, and they sucked her out. I mean, literally, you know, she didn't have any role in that. Yeah. That's how she was born. That happened to her. But growing happens with you. You eat. You exercise, you sleep, you walk, you study, you do papers, you go through trials. And in that part, we have a role to play beyond just, ah, getting zapped, getting pulled out of the womb, God crashing into our lives and opening our eyes to the gospel. We make effort, but we Do so supplying effort to our faith, not replacing it. Paul said, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. First part, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Second part, the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. Paul worked and served and laid down his life more than any apostle. And how did he do this? He experienced the life of the divine nature of Christ inside him through faith and God's promises. He did not replace faith with effort. He did not lay aside effort because he had faith. He didn't replace his faith with effort. He didn't say, I have faith, so I don't need to make any effort. And he did not lay aside his faith when he made his effort. Rather, he trusted God's promises for forgiveness for forgiveness. And he rested in them and trusted God's promise for power and he made an effort by them. He trusted in God's promise for forgiveness and justifying grace and he rested in that. And he trusted in God's promise for power and strength to grow and he made effort by that. Do you hear that? Dang it. <laughs> Some of you guys are not moving your heads. I, if, you, if you understood that, nod your head like this. Because there's, there's just, I just want you guys to get this. Hanging on to the promises of God is so central, guys. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes we are called to make an effort, but don't detach it from the locomotive. Listen to Paul Crouch of the Galatians in, in, in chapter 3. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith Paul knew that these Christians had let go of the promises of God in Christ for them they were letting go of the promise of forgiveness of justifying grace of salvation by faith not by any work or effort they were letting go of that and what was happening to them was the spirit's power was drying up in them and they were drying up with God Did you hear that? So we're called to depend on God's promise while we pursue growing. I just want to ask you guys some questions in closing. I, I, I hope that this hasn't been too, um, too confusing. But I, I'm, 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 I want to make sure I don't keep going on here at 1151. Maturing as a Christian depends on God's promise of grace while pursuing his call to grow. Maturing as a Christian is depending on God's promises of grace while pursuing his call to grow. And th- this isn't technically difficult, but it takes maturity to understand that God calls you to not earn, <laughs> but to make effort. God is not against earning, but he is against, uh, God is not against effort, but he is against earning. And, and, and it's just very easy to slip in that. It's very easy to move from making the effort to beginning to try to earn with God. And when you try to earn with God, it, it will dry you up. It will exhaust you, and he will not be pleased. God saves you by his grace. He justifies you through the free gift of Jesus Christ poured out for your sins on the cross. That's the foundation. That's the locomotive. You have to hold on to that. You are not saved by your effort. You're certainly not saved by your earning, but you're not saved by your effort. Do you guys remember the story of the tax collector and the, and the, and the, uh, the publican? So the tax collector goes in, I, I think this is in Luke, and, and he, he says, forgive me. He says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, right? That's all he does. He goes and he can't even look at God. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you remember that story? That's all he does. He just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then the publican goes in, and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I fast. I never commit adultery. I give money to the poor and to the temple. Guys, he wasn't lying. Like, he, in, in the story, he's not, he's not lying about that. He he thanks God, first of all. He says, God, this is your doing in me. I fast, I give money. I'm 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 a good guy, and I thank you, God, for it. And Jesus says, the first guy who said, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, he went home justified. And about the second guy who said, I thank you that I'm this way, Jesus says, he did not go home justified. And you know, if that happens, if that continues until the day those two men die, it becomes very grave because what Jesus is saying in another sense is that one man is forgiven and one man is condemned before God. The man who is forgiven is the one who didn't put any weight for his eternal destiny on what he did. The man who is Condemned by God is the one who, even looking at the grace of God in him, put his hope in what he was doing. Even though it was God's grace working in him, his eyes were on him and his performance. And so there is a maturing mind that has to battle with this tension of God, I've got to hold on to your gospel. I've got to not shift the weight of my hope to myself. But you're calling me to live and to grow and to do and to pursue you. Or I'm going to dry up that way too. <laughs> so there's tensions here. But but the maturing Christian depends on God's promises of grace and justifying grace that forgives us forever. And the power, the promise of power for grace that keeps us going, and his call to grow. <laughs> I, I, I keep. Hammering this because i've um, but I'm going to keep doing it again i'm not I've tried to write a prayer, a devotional prayer that takes this idea and puts it in a in a longish quiet time prayer I mean it's probably a ten minute prayer if you're going to take it seriously but it's just a tool I tried my best just to repeat in some places paraphrase scripture a little bit, but I put all the scriptural verses in the prayer but it's like my best attempt in my whole life of forty seven years of being a christian to try to as as succinctly as I can, really encapsulate this idea of what does it mean to hold on to who Jesus is for me as my savior and not let that go, but not just wallow and be apathetic and not move forward in growing in love and in f- loyalty to him and to others. But how do I do that without suddenly becoming burdened and exhausted in my effort? and, and Because I can. And, and really, the whole prayer is a prayer of promises, these are the promises of God. So it's on our website. If you go to the front of the page, it'll say prayer of daily consecration. And you can look through it. You don't have to use that prayer. But, but listen, it has to look like something for you. So I'm gonna end with these three questions. How are you doing at keeping God's promises in front of you? How are you doing at keeping God's promises in front of you, number one? I think we have a slide for this. And I'll send these out Tuesday. Don't we have a slide for this? Oh, Okay. how are you doing at keeping God's promises in front of you what are you doing like you become partaker of the divine nature through God's promises and you sustain your power and your energy to follow God by continuing to hold on to his promises so what are you doing to keep his promises in front of you You, it doesn't have to look like me or somebody else all of God's kids are different I'm not going to tell you everybody needs to have a 45 minute quiet time every morning I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you it has to look like something that's right for you as God's kid. So there has to be something you're doing in your life to keep God's promises in front of you. And number two, where, you might be make, where might you in your life be making effort without fuel from his promises? Where might you right now be on the treadmill getting exhausted? Because you're not relying by faith on God's power or promises. You're just kind of doing it all in your own or hope in yourself god 's not in the in the system in your mind, like taking care of the kids, getting ready for school, getting ready for work he just doesn 't occur to you as the one to depend on it 's all about you and you 're exhausted where you might be making where might you be making effort without fuel from his promises Third, where might you be making no effort where his promise calls you to effort are there areas in your life where you know i'm just not doing anything about this i'm i'm wallowing in this i'm spending too much time on the phone too much time uh in media i'm i'm drinking more than i should i'm 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 looking at things i shouldn't and i'm not making any effort to break free and and in that place god has promises for you to supply you with strength to move and to grow and not die in that place So those are my three questions. How are you doing it, keeping God's promise in front of you? Where might you be making effort without fuel from his promises? And where might you be making no effort where his promise calls you to make effort? Does that make sense? Okay. Well, thank you, guys. Um, We are going to do one last thing before we we end today. Um, If the communion team could pass out communion, we're going to put our hope in the biggest promise we have, by having the Lord's Supper together. So if the communion team would would pass out the, the bread and the juice, we'll do that now.